1: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to The Tom Sumner
2: Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today, coming up in the uh, third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk about uh, tools for recognizing anxiety and restoring your peace, as uh, laid out by Dr. Tracy Marks in her new book, Why Am I So Anxious?, and then we're going to talk with, uh, uh, in the middle of our three-hour tour, novelist Gary Smith, um, who has uh, a, a new uh, novel out called Vengeance Can Be Deadly. It's part of the Warren Steelgrave series. But we're going to start out talking with it, and this is uh, going to be fascinating, I, I think. Um, we're going to talk with one of the few women Still Photographers, who has covered five consecutive administrations at the White House. And she has a book uh, called Eyes That Speak, One Woman News Photographer's Journey with History Makers by Christy Bow, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Christy, and welcome to the show.
1: Good morning, Tom. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Um, you know, I mentioned the, the five um, consecutive administrations. In does it, God, there's so many questions I want to ask you. They're just, they're flooding in all at once. I'll start with this one. How different was the transition um, of of Barack Obama, for example, first occupying the Oval Office as opposed to Donald Trump's?
1: Uh, it was, it, it. Both of them started out kind of uh, uh, calm. Um, with with uh, Obama's, uh, you know, first first couple of days there, he he got off to a rocky start at the inauguration because Chief Justice Roberts, who you know I I have covered him for for quite a while. All of us, most of us, have here in, in Washington. And I had photographed uh, Chief Justice Roberts um, swearing in and his whole confirmation hearing to become Chief Justice, and the Chief Justice is who swears in the president. So he had, this was the first time he had done that since he had taken office, and he memorized it, and uh, in my book, Eyes That Speak, you will see, uh, I, I have the two pictures there side by side of President Obama raising his right hand, swearing in with a big smile on his face, and then you see, uh, a a couple seconds later, you see he's completely, no longer has a smile on his face, he's dead serious, still raising his hand, and within those, I believe it's 47 words of taking the oath, Justice Roberts accidentally, um, you know, reversed a couple of, of the sequence of words, which made... Uh, Barack Obama's inauguration invalid and and Obama was was quick enough to notice that small thing and that's and so after uh, Obama's uh, inauguration you know they did the festivities the, the parade and everything and then they quietly went back to the Oval Office and Chief Justice Roberts went in and re-swore him in privately so that that got off to a rocky start but then things kind of smoothed out. With with President Trump, yeah, that was pretty uh pretty wild all the way around with with you know, once he had been inaugurated, the big protest marches and the pink uh um, brigade or, or the pink revolution, whatever it was it was called, it escapes me right this second. Although I have pictures of that too, I was there for that. Uh so, yeah, but Trump Trump got off. Free. Things started out with a bang with him, I would say, more so uh, than.
2: You know, uh, I had forgotten, Matt Christy, that uh, uh, Chief Justice Roberts had had uh, messed up the the inauguration and that it had to be redone. Um, to make it and I, I think totally official. It's
1: so under the under wraps because you know nobody wants to embarrass anybody. And, but that that was a, a fact and, and a changing uh, time for all of us news photographers because the fact that that was done privately and I understand that that was an embarrassing moment for Justice Roberts and since then I have photographed Obama's second inauguration. Trump's inauguration and Biden's inauguration, and let me tell you, ever since he's got that piece of paper, in front of us. <laughs> every time.
2: I <laughs> so, bet because he's yes. he's not one who's who's given to make mistakes. He, that's not something no. he would be very comfortable with. The um, for some reason I have a picture in my mind of. Barack Obama taking that that private oath, um, were there photographers allowed in for that?
1: No, and that was the beginning of a very big change in, in uh, making access a little less each time. So that was done privately, and everybody was upset about that, all the the members of the press corps and stuff were, but again, I, I think it was because it was an embarrassing moment for the justice and they didn't want to embarrass him, but uh, that President um, Obama's photographer, Pete Souza, had much better access than the rest of of us, and starting with that day when he was the only one to take pictures there
2: i was going to ask that, because i think he, i've he I, I think i've seen that uh, you know um a photograph of that event and and i was going to ask if presidents have their own photographers separate from the the press corps that are charged with a different mission and that is uh, recording things for history and and for posterity yeah.
1: They, they do. Yeah, they have a, a team. There's usually three, two to three for the president, and then the first lady has her little team. The vice president has, has their team. But but the president has, has three, but there's one person that's the chief photographer, and that chief photographer is head of everybody, and that's what Pete Souza was. And so he had a lot better access continuously through all eight years than the rest of us did, But, um, and then there used to be what was called two waves, which would consist of, each wave would be like 15 photographers, maybe 12 to 15, that would be allowed to go in uh, to the Oval Office when, say, there was a world leader uh, visiting. And then the, the two leaders would be sitting in front of the fireplace, and it would be a nice little photo op. The president, our president, would always be on the right in the visiting uh dignitary would be on the left and you kind of knew that going in and and then there'd be interpreters and everybody staff people around and we would be allowed to go in for 15 seconds 10 15 seconds and take pictures and then be escorted out uh, this other door and behind us would be another 15 would come in do the pictures and go out the door uh, and then but that gave a lot of people opportunities to uh to get pictures and and um that was very valuable because even though you're in there for such a short time with a pretty obvious plan of what the picture is going to be when you come out you always come out with surprises because you know it, it pays to look around and see who else is in the room and and what else is going on what kind of candid moments so Uh, Surprisingly enough, a lot of people get very different images from something so simple of a of a uh, opportunity, and that you know they during the Obama administration, they the President Obama decided, nah, I think we're just going to have one wave from now on, and then that's never changed. So now we're down to one wave and less people, less points of view, less less different you know, witnesses to history in, in the Oval Office situation. Um,
2: that that's group that's of, the
1: only time that that ever happened.
2: Christy, that group of um, photographers, how separate are they from the press corps at large?
1: The, the White House photographers? Yes. Well, their purpose is to document everything that the president does. So that's why there's a few of them, and they, they have, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of pictures that they take each week of everything the president does. So um, that, that is, is their purpose. So they, like, they'll have, uh, say, the president's chief photographer would usually be the one to do the type of pictures that happen, like, in the situation room or things like that. We're never allowed in there. Uh, but, and, and then that's the, the chief photographer also, or the president's personal photographers have special access on Air Force One. They have special access, period. They can move freely around the, around the compound. We cannot. We have to just go to our appointed designated areas. We, we can go from the press gate, which is the northwest gate of the White House, To the briefing room, and you know, every you know, for part of that area outside the West Wing, up along the driveway, there, and that's that's it. So, other than that, we have to have an escort by somebody that's from the press office, whereas the White House photographers can go anywhere they want at any time, which is which is good. However, they at the end of their the presidents that they're covering's administration, they have to leave. Whereas the um, the White House press corps, we stay through the different administrations.
2: You know, there's a um, we were talking about the the transition of of power uh, going to Obama when he first came to the the White House and, and the Oval Office and, and the same with Donald Trump and sort of compared those two. And with every administration the the West Wing kind of reinvents itself depending on how it's staffed and who's in what positions and proximity to the Oval Office and all of that. Does the same kind of shuffling go on with the with the press corps? As, as it remains from administration to administration in terms of quarters and office space and all of that?
1: Not really. No, that pretty much stays the same. That, that stays the same because the White House Correspondents Association is who kind of figures that out, who gets seats in the briefing room and who gets to have their little cubbyhole there or office. Um, there for for us we we stay the same and then it's always interesting to watch the new administrations feel their way around and and uh sometimes not always but sometimes you see some people that start out that are staffers just really super friendly and nice and on top of the world of of you know where they are and and as as well they should be it's a wonderful honor to, to work at the White House, and but then sometimes you see it kind of sink in, and then they get a little uh, again once in a while, not 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 all the time, but you'll see the power kind of get the best of them.
2: That, you know, I they have authority. I yeah. heard somebody say once that um, working at the White House, walking in and out of the White House every day. <laughs> when that's where you go to work that that never gets old and and you were there yes. longer you've been there longer than most is is that true for you as well yes it just it,
1: it is very very special and i feel very blessed every time i you show my pass, and they open the gate, and you walk through, and all the other tourists are walking past, and <laughs>
2: it,
1: yeah, it makes you feel very special. Yeah.
2: Christy, um, I, this is a, a fascinating conversation. I want to talk some more about some of the, the um, moments that you've captured, but I have to take a short break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? My pleasure great. My guest is Christy Bow. The book is Eyes That Speak, and we're talking about uh, uh, the photographers who capture images of the president. Hello oh, are there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-E-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner's program, on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
5: and where the Cultural Center and Planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
1: Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community.
2: This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with White House photographer, and, and now author um, of a new book called Eyes That Speak. Her name is Christy Bowe. She joins me by phone. Christy, uh, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that.
0: No, that's okay.
2: Um, Christy, we were talking about uh, some of the transitions from different administrations, but during the last segment you said something about the the photographers um, when they when they get opportunities to shoot um, sometimes very historic events in the Oval Office and various parts of the White House and and that you considered it you know sort of your job to look for the right moment to shoot but also to look around for other things that might be going on in um, other people in the room, and so on. Can you give an example of a time when you were shooting something that maybe seemed a little bit routine, but you, you picked up on something special and got got a better shot than you were expecting?
1: Uh, I would have to say at one of the Obama press conferences in the Rose Garden, for instance, He it was just a traditional... Uh, you know, presidential press conference, which doesn't happen anymore. Yet, uh, hopefully, that'll come back again someday. But at least not at the White House. You know, there, there, that uh, doesn't happen, or hasn't happened yet. Um, and but during this Obama uh, press conference, I, I looked over, and of course, he's the center of attention. But I looked over to the side, and there was Hillary. And this is right before she was starting to run for office and she just happened to be uh, looking from behind the column of, you know, one of the columns on the colonnade, and it just made a a nice picture.
6: (laughs) I bet. Before she was
1: getting ready to run for office. (laughs) So things like that. And uh, and then I guess there was another chapter in my book is about when um, I photographed at the time, because this book took me over 10 years to complete because it's very difficult to say the end when you're photographing news. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but but at, at one point, um, three of my presidents that I had covered were to, came together for to uh, bring awareness to the earthquake in Haiti, and that was President um, Clinton, Bush 43, and Obama. And so I was making a picture of them Walking down the colonnade from the Oval Office, and they were getting ready to come out into the into the Rose Garden, and there was just a really wonderful moment. That to me, that key picture was the three of them walking out of the Oval Office together and and walking towards me. That that was, you know, that was a wonderful, wonderful moment and opportunity. Uh, but there, after they went around the as as they were walking through the columns into the Rose Garden president clinton put his hand on bush's shoulder and the two of them were just walking by themselves obama had had been a little bit ahead of them and it was just a a special picture that's in the book of of the two of them you know uh, republican and a democrat being buddies because you know and that struck me that day which everybody knows but to see it uh firsthand like that that each of them are in a special club that nobody else in the world knows what it's like to be leader of the free world and to sit behind that desk, but each other. And and I could really see that camaraderie there. And that's one of my favorite pictures, is the, the two of them walking through the white columns together.
2: Yeah, that is a pretty unique fraternity they're in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it's a pretty unique fraternity that you're in. And how did you end up being a photographer at the White House?
1: Well, I had decided that, um, you know, I I had an interest in taking pictures of people and was kind of uh, making my way, building up my portfolio uh, at the time for that. And back in those days of film and portfolios and all that. And uh, I came across Sarah McClendon, who was a, uh, in her time, she's passed away many years ago now, but she uh, was a true warrior and a voice of the little people. She was a a reporter, uh, had her own business, McClendon News, was one of the first women to become a member of the National Press Club, and was a member of the white house press corps and when she and i met which was kind of by accident and i did not know who she was at the time but i was had had a tour of the national press club and was considering being a member there and henry Kissinger was going to come speak that evening and and my tour ended early and so this they have a big ballroom that holds like 300 people or so and it was all set up movie theater style seating and i was coming straight down the aisle and sarah was coming uh from the side and of all the empty 300 seats we both wanted the same spot
6: oh that's funny (laughs)
1: that was kind of funny on the aisle seat front row aisle seat and i i you know made it there uh a few steps before her and she goes, I want to sit there. And I said, well, I got here first and, and I didn't know who she was. And then, uh, <laughs> oh,
2: no. the, uh,
1: so, and then she was fine with that. And she was like, okay, I said, look, I'm taking pictures here. So, you know, that's, we're, we're both in the front row. It's, it's, it's all good. And she liked that, I guess, uh, that I was being assertive and, uh, so then as the room started to fill up, people started coming over and saying, wow, Sarah. And then they were asking me, because I was with her and I had a camera, can I take pictures of them with her? And I'm like, wow, who is this woman? And then <clears throat> a little while later, Henry Kissinger comes in, and and he's like, Sarah. And the two of them do a big embrace, and, and uh, you know, it, it was something. I said, i got to check this out. So I did and found out. Her history and who she was and stuff. And later, I um, I joined the, the National Press Club, and I and I sent her a, a note with one of the pictures I photographed of her with um, with Henry Kissinger, and I said thank you for what you did for for women, and you know, and how you are, um, you know, you're amazing. And if ever you need um, anybody to help you out or need need a photographer for anything, let me know. And so she called me like two days later and said, can I use this picture? She thanked me for the picture and said, they're doing a book about my life. She was from Tyler, Texas. And uh, she said, can I use that? Can I use your picture? And I said, yeah. And then she said, did you mean it about, uh, you know, being available to take pictures with me from time to time? And I said, sure. And that was the beginning of a a wonderful introduction to the White House for me, because I eventually became her photographer. And then it it was wild. She, She, like I say, she was the voice of the little people when we would go, for instance, this one time sticks out of my mind that we were going for a press conference with President Clinton and she always we took cabs quite a bit around Washington, and she always insisted on sitting on in the front seat next to the cab driver and so she would ask you know she did this all the time, but this one time in particular it struck me and she said asked this cab driver where he was from, and he was from a middle Eastern country and had some immigration issues and she she was saying if you could ask." president clinton anything what would that be and i can't remember the exact question i know was pertaining to um to immigration no and 45 minutes later she was asking the president of the united states that cab driver's question and that's what i mean about her being a voice of the little people and presidents were very afraid of her <laughs> because <laughs> she she has some fierce questions. She and Helen Thomas, and Helen did the forward for my book. Um, and and she's been gone for quite a few years. Um, uh, but the the two of them uh, presidents were very fearful of because they never knew. They knew they were sh- straight shooters, but they would not be afraid to to ask a question in a very. Um, precise way to keep them from being able to dodge it. And so I mean President Clinton even said that about her when interviewed about her. <laughs> he said, I, I I was afraid of her. He said, I never knew what she was gonna say <laughs> So um, so that was really cool to be have a mentor like that and somebody that showed me the ropes at the White House and you know one day she called me up and said, Do you want to go have lunch with Princess Diana?
6: I was like, Okay
1: <laughs> so we we went down of course princess diana was in you know had fine china and air conditioning on the scorching day at the red cross and the rest of us were outside but they did feed us there which was nice uh and and uh yeah so i mean every day was it was an adventure
2: i you and know i had
1: I, i'm sorry i
2: i was just i was just going to insert i i had um the opportunity to interview um, her chef he had been at the at the um, at Buckingham Palace and then when she left um, when she and Charles split up he went with her and oh. he and he tells the funniest story about her coming in and uh, saying you know i'm gonna take the boys and go to mcdonald's and, <laughs> and he said it, you know if the boys want a hamburger i'll make them a hamburger and she says no it's for the toys uh. <laughs> <laughs> and and i thought how how common is that you know a mom taking her her two young boys to McDonald's cuz they like the toys that come with the happy meals.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> I
2: just I, Yeah,
1: you don't think of royalty normally having that uh having that need for toys. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> um yeah. and anyway, it was uh <laughs> and 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 I asked him about royalty and and you know, if they were casual or you know, if he got to interact with them you know did he ever see the queen you know just wandering yeah. around in the kitchen in her pajamas or whatever <laughs> so yeah he said no not not so much <laughs> he said there's wow. a certain what amount a cool of fun oh it, it was it was a lot of fun and he had uh he had since come to the u.s and uh, was doing special events um based out of uh Texas I believe. Um, but yeah, he, in fact he's known as the Royal Chef that, that's his handle. But yeah, it was a it was a fun uh, a fun interview and uh, as is this one and uh, now who was president when you first started uh, taking pictures at the Clinton. White House? Clinton was president.
6: president.
2: Clinton. And mm-hmm. then how did you are are you Independent, or are you associated with a particular news agency?
1: I started my I, when Sarah was getting older. I said, you know, I'd really like to start my own little um, photography business, and so and now 2.5 million pictures later, here I am. But um, you know, and I asked her for her blessing on that, and and she she gave me that, and also a good reference to transition my. My credentials from McClendon News to Image Catcher News, which is my little company that I founded. And then I cover Washington, D.C. primarily, um, Capitol Hill, and um, and the White House. And then I am represented by Zuma Press and also Getty Images. And so they sell my pictures for me. And plus I get, you know, assignments from from people as well.
2: In in your role as a White House photographer, um, does that mean you have traveled on Air Force One?
1: No, but that is on my bucket list.
6: That,
1: <laughs> that is tough to do because, especially now, because everything is still restricted. Uh, you know, originally with COVID, and I guess we'll see how things lighten up. Here now, but um, uh, that's, that's all my list to do. To travel on Air Force One is extremely expensive, way more expensive than flying first class on a last-minute flight, and, and there are very limited seats that are designated for the larger networks, and so everybody has to pay so that there's no sense of um, you know, preferential treatment for one network over another. And uh, so I was like, well, maybe I could go to some little town that nobody else, you know, feels like going to that day where, where it's not going to be a big news event, and uh, see if I can get on there. But the Correspondents Association decides all that. So the only way I could do it would be if, um, because they have seats that are assigned, like I say, to the to the major news services. But if one of them was not going to be covering it for some reason, that would be the only
2: Christy, that's the first time I've ever heard anybody talk about um, paying to fly on Air Force One. That's fascinating to me. Oh, yeah.
1: hmm And sometimes there's a press plane that's separate from Air Force One. And to me, that would be a big ripoff if I had to pay big dollars and wasn't even on the... <laughs> Same plane as the president, so <laughs> that's, uh, but that's just me, you know, because I'm, I'm doing it just for a personal, uh, thing. But,
2: uh, now yeah, you, you said that you've taken, uh, you sort of indicated that you've taken like two and a half million photographs. At what point in all of that did you know you were collecting photographs for a book?
1: Well, that was over ten years ago, and I uh, thought that it—it's it, almost therapeutic
6: <laughs> to, <laughs> to
1: talk about some of the things that I've uh, witnessed. Like, you know, you come tell your family, I took pictures of Queen Elizabeth today, and they're like, "What?" Uh, but you know, it's—it's it's, you know, our, our days as news photographers are are just so unique. And, and, you know, and such an honor to be in the same room with some of these, these famous people. And I thought, I'd like to let everybody know how that it is not as simple as just uh, taking the picture, hitting the shutter, and that's it. A lot goes into it. A lot of hurry up and wait. A lot of being credentialed practically every event from the inauguration to the hearings to the January 6th hearings to State of the Union address, you have to have special credentials aside from your regular credentials. And then they decide whether or not, you know, you can you can do it, whether they can accommodate you. And that has gotten much tougher because of the COVID restrictions. Access has been really much, much uh, tighter than what it. it Normally has been over the years, but um, so I, I thought people just need to know what what goes into this. And then I was originally thinking the end was going to be when President Obama swore in. That's and that and then Helen, I I asked Helen Thomas. I said, if you if, would you mind taking a look at what I have here for my book, and if you like it, would you consider writing the foreword? And she said. Sure. So a couple of weeks later, she, uh, I, I was in the grocery store and she calls me on the phone and she zoomed in on <laughs> something in my biography where I have that I was kicked out of Catholic school in ninth grade. <laughs> and she focused on that, <laughs> everything else. And she goes, Christy, Helen, why'd you get kicked out of Catholic school? And and I told her, and she goes, all right then, and then she hangs up.
2: (laughs) Now you know (laughs) what those presidents felt like. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) But I guess, you know, in fairness to her, she wanted to make sure that I wasn't, like, thrown out for assaulting somebody or, you know, some crazy thing, which I was not. So um, it was just, you know, disagreement with the teacher verbally. But um, anyway, because I was being picked on, but anyway... um, That aside, I I kept thinking that that this book was going to be over. And then, um, you know, then Trump came into office. And then, (laughs) there's no way you can say, stop during all that wildness. So after the impeachment and after um, shortly after that was uh, the big State of the Union address there, uh, where all the things happened, and um Nancy Pelosi tore up the speech and there there was just drop, which I missed that shot by the way,
2: oh no, but, um, yeah. <laughs> the ones that got away <laughs> the
1: one that got away and it was a big one <laughs> so.
2: well speaking anyway. speaking of of big ones like that um you mentioned you know that that traveling on Air Force One is on your bucket list. Are there people on your bucket list that you have not photographed that you would like to photograph?
1: Mm, I've always wanted to photograph Clint Eastwood for some reason. I don't know why I went to the uh um, to to that one um and yeah, uh, let me think about this for a second. Because um, I've I'm very fortunate that I've, I've hit a lot of them, like Nelson Mandela and um, you know Muhammad Ali and people like that that are in my, and Robert De Niro and folks like that that are in my book. But um, Anthony Hopkins, I think, would be kind of cool. Oh yeah, to, to be able to talk to him and. You know, a lot of times you're, you're fortunate because you can really interact with your subjects. We don't always get that opportunity. I mean, sometimes we, we do, but oftentimes, especially at the White House, we're behind the ropes. And I just have to try to get the best candid moment that I can, that I feel is going to be different than the person standing right next to me. Well, Christy... And I'm thinking in the Presidential Medal of Freedom, specifically.
2: Christy, I'm having so much fun talking with you. I feel like we could talk for another hour, but we're just about out of time. And I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and, uh, and your work, past, present, and future. Um, and, and also give you a chance to, to maybe tell us a little bit about what's next for uh, Christy. And we've got about a minute. Um, do you have a website you'd like to share?
1: I do, and that's imagecatchernews.com, www.imagecatchernews.com, and uh, you can order my book through there via Amazon or BookLogix, and and also at, at bookstores, so that's, that's good. And as far as what I'm um, trying to do here now, and I've got, you know, uh, I finished up my book with after the insurrection and Joe Biden's inauguration is when I decided the end, as I looked out on the crowd and there was, instead of there being thousands and millions of people like usual, there was 25,000 national guard holding high powered rifles and empty grounds. And that's what made me pick the end. I did want to get that across, but, uh, I, I hope to keep, to keep going. Maybe there'll be a, a second book. Um, and, it's you know, I, I can't imagine not
2: doing this because it's kind of in my blood. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Christy, thank you so much for spending this time uh, with me. It's been an honor and a privilege. And keep up the good work.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for what you do. Hi, this
2: is Joe By from the Blue Lions, And you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone.
7: This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease.
2: I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her
7: on her birthday.
2: You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people.
5: Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again.
3: So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now,
0: Dana. Your father's on the phone.
3: Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. And if you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you.
0: Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor.
3: I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
7: About a lucky man Who made the grade And though the news Was rather sad Well I just had to laugh I saw the photograph He didn't notice that the lights had changed A crowd of people stood aside They'd seen his face before Nobody was really sure if he was from the House of Today, oh, The English army had just won the war. A crowd of people turned away. But I just had to look, having read. Fell out of bed, grabbed the comb across my head. I went upstairs and I had a cup. Looking up, I noticed I was late. Grabbed my coat, grabbed my hat, made the books and seconds flat. I went upstairs and I had a smoke. Somebody spoke and I went into a dream. Oh, How many holes it takes to fill love?
0: Some room. No little itty bitty piece of crap. I'm gonna put me in Show me nothing.
7: My lawn we're trying to do a radio show down here it's a Tom Sumner program don't you know
6: Come on Come on get out of here